Class is rarely talked about in the United States. Nowhere is there a more intense silence about the reality of class differences than in educational settings. Significantly, class differences are particularly ignored in classrooms. From grade school on, we are all encouraged to cross the threshold of the classroom, believing we are entering a democratic space, a free zone where the desire to study and learn makes us all equal. And even if we enter accepting the reality of class differences, most of us still believe knowledge will be meted out in fair and equal proportions. In those rare cases where it is acknowledged that students and professors do not share the same class backgrounds, the underlying assumption is still that we are all equally committed to getting ahead, to moving up the ladder of success to the top. And even though many of us will not make it to the top, the unspoken understanding is that we will land somewhere in the middle between top and bottom. Bell Hooks, Chapter 12, Teaching to Transgress, Confronting Class in the Classroom. Welcome to season four of Safe Topics. In this series, we're talking about books. And other things. Yes, other things, but we're going to go deep on some books. Not like a full book review, but like a chapter by chapter review, which I guess adds up to a full book eventually. <laughs> yes. And we're going to talk about anything else that makes us think about how we teach and why we teach. And we want you, the audience, to join us. Listen for details about how to do that at the end of this episode. All right, here we go. Class in the classroom. Yes. Um, this is this is really interesting because at this time we are in a we're in the middle of a semester. I am actually covering class right now. Oh, awesome! Cool. <laughs> social class, social stratification. So Bell Hooks isn't talking about me. No. But, but there is a way to talk about class without talking about class in the classroom. Right. Right. It's kind of like a lot of sociological topics where it's just like abstraction, right? Like race relations out there. Yeah. You know, or or class or gender. Like it's it's this thing we study, but then you know, we and I do my best to do this, but often, well, you can, it's a choice. You can make it not about who we are, but the thing we're studying, right? Yes. yes. Which I think is not the right approach, but there is a balance there and, you know, lots of touchy things in this book. But then also this is one, too, because you don't want to make it a place where people are revealing or disclosing things that um, may be harmful to them. Right. And may make them feel bad about themselves or less than or whatever. Um, But at the same time, you don't want to ignore that the lived experiences in the classroom are actually the, the, the um, realities of the things that we're studying in this abstract way. Right? Yeah, totally. Um, so I, I want to get into this kind of slowly. Uh, uh, and, and I think, but I really like your frame of, we talk about class without talking about class. And I think there's a lot of different ways that that happens. Mm-hmm. Um um, so, so maybe I'll just gesture forward, but let's slow down and kind of get into one or two at a time. So she talks about like bourgeoisie decorum, right? Almost like, like the etiquette that is in all of our syllabus, right? The sort of, here's the discourse and how we're going. And a lot of us approach that with this, this cool, like 
you know, uh, um, um, like deep respect and equity kind of mindset. But still, we want to speak polite with each other. And that definitely has a class implication, right? So that's that's one thing I want to get into. Um, another is that like how we, we, my math teacher used to speak to us. He used to say, when you're an engineer and you do the problem like this, the bridge will fall down. <laughs> like, and he would do that, you know, to kind of motivate us and sort of reprimand us for not doing well on tests. Mm-hmm. But he's projecting for us, right? Like a class destination where as he's also reprimanding us. Um, and then the other one that for me really stands out that I'd like us to get into is where she talks about the biases that we really embed in our knowledge sharing with each other based on class, right? So so, so based on our class and our ideologies that are tied to those class positions, what does that do for the transmission of knowledge from teacher to student and then, and then for student to, to teacher, right? Hearing that stuff. Um, Okay, I didn't mean to like overwhelm us, but like you're what you just said made me think of all those things. Um, we can go wherever you want to. <laughs> yeah. Well, that makes me think about how we have a lot in, in, in our profession. So at the community college, there's a being an open access place, right? Yeah. And having people from all different kinds of backgrounds. But I say that kind of like not all different kinds of backgrounds. A lot of people are coming from similar socioeconomic spaces, right? Yeah. And when they come in, what's the number one thing that we start with? The onboarding, right? Yeah. Right. So there's already this this process of of um, re-socializing them, right? It, it's it, and it, and it's in contrast to this other discussion we also have about meeting people where they're at, right? You can't meet people where they're at and also try to change them to conform to college going culture simultaneously. Right. Those, those two things don't make sense. Right. right? Yeah. You, you could do one after the other, but you can't do them at the same time. Right. 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 Yeah. So um, it's interesting that like a lot of our focus is on onboarding college culture. Let's get them prepared. Prepared is a big one that we hear a lot. Right. Um, because we're always worried about what's going to happen to them at the next place, right? We're always looking forward. That's the same kind of projection, right? You're going to be in this other class. You're going to be an upper class person too. Not upper classes in uh, socioeconomic. We used to say upperclassmen, but it's very gendered, right? Right. Like upper division. Upper yes. division. That's the word I'm looking for. Totally. Um, th- those kind of class, and those are going to be harder classes. You got to. Th- th- it's a whole nother culture you're going to have to learn. Curry. The thing we don't talk about a lot, though, is who they're leaving behind. Right. That we, do, we, we don't spend a lot of time there because if somebody stays with us, they transfer, they get a bachelor's uh, degree, they move on to graduate school, they're leaving more behind. I would argue they're leaving as much behind as they are anticipating new things in the future. Like those, those are both kind of weighted the same to me absolutely um and and that's something that i've experienced in my lifetime and i know a lot of people have um and 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 we don't do a good job of preparing them for that situation totally yeah sorry i think i just went a different direction no i think this is good we don't to you know we don't talk about that and 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 that's we you know and there's nothing really facilitating that even outside of our classrooms, right? That directly, directly. I think I think that happens in within a relationship, maybe with a counselor or a teacher. 
especially when we kind of recognize each other, like, so I'm from working class, you're from working class. I kind of can hear it in your language. What, like, as we do, you yeah. can, you can kind of get it. Yeah. Um, but you're right. There's nothing directly. And then I think it also cuts both ways. Right. Because I have students, you're talking about the students who, who make it right. Who kind of, and, and what, what that means for them, given the, the, the family they live in, the neighborhood they live in and, and the complexity there. But we have students who don't make it because they say to me, my parents expect me to be working right now and or my brother and sister are still in grade school and my parents are working and I need to be home with them because nobody else is home with them because this is going on or that's going on. And that's very much a class issue, right? That's one. And then the other is my sister's going to Stanford. And right I'm here at the community college. Right, and my parents are doctors at Scripps La Jolla. Right, right? so that that's another one. You know what well, I mean? That and I'm about to transfer to university, but my friends and especially my like partner are giving me shit because because I'm about to make more money than them. Like I'm about to get into another and and they don't have access to that given where they are right now. Like, in other words, the mindset, right? Like the perception, like I, I don't, right? There's a, there's a, now a disconnect between really good friends or like, like, you know, couples because of this shift. You know, you made me think like we're constantly doing this thing where we're trying to facilitate a situation. We're really trying to help people climb. Right, right. And, and, and the lower that they come from, the greater the climb the greater the celebration, right? Except for when they get to the top, <laughs> then from there, there's no more empathy, sympathy. Like then it's, it's not just the friends talking shit. It's everybody is now critical of those who ascend that far. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I think about how, like you have somebody in class, they do really well, you know, they struggled even getting to school. They have a lot of those obligations that you talked about. And then they transfer. Wow. Big celebration, you know, commencement, big hugs and just amazing. Yes. And then they ask you for a letter of recommendation a couple years later. Right. You're thinking about grad school. You're like, awesome. Then yeah. they get a job, maybe a job better than yours. I right? know. <laughs> and that's great too, you know? Yeah. But at some point, and I've experienced this too, at some point you're no longer the struggling person from the lower class. You are firmly in the class that that you um uh that you ascended to and then that's a whole different ball game right yeah yeah so i want to get your thinking on this so this this um a quote from hooks where she's talking about this sort of sort of um um class mobility but she's also talking about agency and then especially for teachers like like what this means so i'm on page 83 mm -hmm. she says those of us in the academy from working class backgrounds are empowered when we recognize our own agency, our capacity to be active participants in participants in the pedagogical process. This process is not simple or easy. It takes courage to embrace a vision of wholeness of being that does not reinforce the capitalist version that suggests one must always give something up to gain another. So she's, 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 she's putting her finger on the root. It's capitalism. It's how capitalism structures our relationship to one another across these economic classes. 
And then she's also putting her finger on an artifact of capitalist societies, which is this transaction, right? This in order to gain something, you must give something, right? And or lose something to 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 get something else. And then in the middle of that is this notion of agency. So I'm I'm wondering, how are you? What do you think about that? Where does that take you? It, it takes me to the idea that the commodification of education. Right. It takes me to the idea that students are customers. Right. Because the way the discourse in in what we do outside of the classroom, right? Yeah. I, I, I fully believe I'm providing a service inside the classroom, you know, and, and I fully believe, well, it's not just a belief. It's just the fact that without the students, we don't have jobs. It, right. <laughs> right. So it's kind of easy to make that parallel at that level. But when people say they're making student centered decisions, now the discourse in the in the conversations we have that the students aren't a part of. Right. right? Um, there are obvious class differences. Right. Between. Yeah classified employees, administrators, faculty, part-time faculty, full-time faculty, untenured, tenure track, tenured, right? And in all of this, if you ask people who is the most important stakeholder, they're quick to say the students. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um and and I feel like the discourse centers on that almost in a way that the corporate world focuses on the customer or the user. Yep. Do you, do you, do I know. Well, okay. I, I, I want to go really specific and then we can zoom back out. But I yeah. remember I went through a couple of different programs of like assessing online teaching. And I went through these rubric sort of uh, assessments, evaluations of my courses. And I got to tell you, like there were a several times where I thought, you know what, you're actually asking me to perform customer service more than you're asking me to be student-centered, right? Because, but then this is complicated and why I want to broaden this back out. But a lot of it was like, you know, you're you're designing content to be consumed by like a, a user. And we really need to think about their experience with your content. And so, and that just, for me, it just felt so much like, marketing you know like yeah. but then okay so but let, let's 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 pull that apart a little bit when i think about my students time and their labor and i think about how we are all sort of positioned differently within an economic class structure it does become important for me student centeredness does mean thinking about how my students are experiencing my course based on the amount of time they either have the luxury to spend or they're constrained in terms of their other obligations to spend and then what that means for their learning, their actual learning and the content, and then their, their goal setting for you're taking my course to get to another space. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It yeah. does. But then it, it, it always goes back to the idea of the impossible task, right. Which we face. And, yeah. and, and that is being open access, having these different learners, different levels of preparedness or whatever, the, the like but you're teaching them a class right and there's an assignment or an outcome that you yeah. want from this right right that's already impossible you know and what i find is like we we use language far too often that says we're going to ensure the success of all students well you like you you've already set yourself up for failure that that's not gonna happen. That's not a real thing. 
right? Um, and, and I feel like it's almost a, a little blasphemy even saying that, right? Like, because people, they say it with conviction as if they believe it. These, these are things we write in like official policies and documents and, you know, these opportunities that we present, like we're going to do this. Yeah. And, and we're not going to do that at all. Right. But when we look at the, when we look at the student as a customer, there are clear negative things to that. I feel like, right. Like they're like, then, then you are just trying to appease. They are purchasing something from you. Right. They need to be satisfied with that. Yeah. Right. Now the customer service aspect, if it's in a way that you're polite and cordial and you treat them with respect, great. That's kind of cool. Right. But at the same time, is that necessary for learning? No, but it's necessary not to be a dick, you know, like, of I, course. Yeah. And, but that just means that we as teachers share values with like marketing departments, which is we want our folks, we, we work with to, you know, not feel like we're assholes, <laughs> like to well, be respected. Well, but during an, uh, during an enrollment crisis, which we're still in the middle there of, you know, there you go. This is more and more what we're asked to do. You're right. Promoters, right? That's right. And in times when, when our enrollment is healthy, the, the promotion is like you design a kick-ass class and yeah. tell people, you remember what I told the beginning of this semester, actually, Curry, we we're at Academic Senate. And I don't know if you remember, but what I said to everybody was, you know, I was like, what are you looking forward to this semester? And everybody said, you know, being with the students, of course, because that's like, you know, the, the, the student-centered um, mantra kind of thing. But I said, like, I'm looking forward to going into class and teaching so damn good that they have to tell us the friend about it. You know? That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and, yeah. and it's kind of right. like, tell a friend about, like, that's the same shit. That's my Yeah, thing. totally. Exactly. I'm trying to sell this thing, you know? <laughs> but but here is the difference, right, between the customer service model and teaching. Yeah. And I'm thinking of Dr. Luke Wood and and his sort of principles for, for equity-minded teaching. And one of them is being intrusive. I can't imagine a company wanting to increase the sort of traffic to its website or like the folks coming into the store yeah. who are also concerned with like the the effective or like the the metacognitive sort of opportunity to think about how one does something and how one might do something in a more right and so like they're going to be intrusive like you know when when you're eating that hamburger i really feel like you're going fast and you would enjoy it so much more if you slowed down so i'm going to ask you to write a paragraph (laughs) so you can process this stuff and you know what i mean like like so so we going back to like our students time and their labor, like it is, it is in the work we do to ask of our students to challenge themselves and to go into uh, liminal spaces where they don't feel comfortable because they're about to get an idea, but it's a slippery one. Right. Um, And we want to enter that space together and we want it because that's how we grow. And that's what we're all about. Right. Yeah. And that's not necessarily, we don't, I don't know that marketing companies want customers to grow except for scale and profits <laughs> they just want more of them but maybe yeah i'm being a little cynical here so no, i, I no, know no, there's no, no. i know there's been benef- like benign com- companies and cool folks out there so oh, anyway. we haven't even started to get cynical okay, okay. So they, they, check okay. this out we're, <laughs> we're just we, a lot of the times i feel like we're teaching people how to be like a dysfunctional family 
<laughs> like a lot of people from like more collectivist cultures or more family oriented cultures, right. it's not the middle class American, like, Hey, go get yours. Yeah. We'll be here getting ours and you go get yours. Right. Right. You know, it's more like, Hey, go get something and bring it back to us. Right. That's, that's kind of the, the mentality of other ways of being and other, other family structures, but a classroom, even a program, you're basically saying, Hey, we're all here together. Let's all learn together. Some of you are going to get A's. Some of you are going to go to grad school. Some of you are going to go to Yale and, and, and Brown. And then some of you are going to go to the state school down the street. Right. Um, Right. And there's a hierarchy in that. Right. I know. Yeah. And, And so there's all of that. And we're basically saying, Hey, let's all learn together. But some of you are better. You know, and and I'm not saying that I, I'm not putting a judgment on that. It's just kind of the way that we operate. Yeah. Um, and it and it reflects middle class American values, right? Sure. Yeah. Of wanting to never be poor. That's the number one fear. But yeah. the second fear is um oh, not, not the second fear, but the other aspir the aspiration is to be lifted to the next class yeah. level. Right. Um let me, let me go with a quote here from the book. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, most progressive professors are more comfortable striving to challenge class biases through the material studied than they are with interrogating how class biases shape conduct in the classroom and transforming their pedagogical process. Yeah. So maybe give me an example of a book that you teach where this may be occurring. Right. And I'm sure you do make the connections to to their lives, but, but like, if you just said, this is the book we're reading. Yeah. Yeah. So, and okay. So, and in that quote, I'm hearing, so that we're on the same page in that quote, I'm hearing her say it's, professors are more inclined to bring in text, like to bring in content from the discipline that raises these issues mm-hmm. than to actually kind of transform our own teaching practices, which address class, um, the actual class issues in our classroom. Is that is that how you're reading that quote too? Right. And interrogating how the biases surrounding class yes. are actually informing, she says transforming, right? But right. informing our teaching practice. Right. So, okay. So I've taught a book. The first book that comes to my mind that sort of fits in this space is Exit West by Mosin Muhammad, And just a very, very short synopsis. He imagines a world where doors become portals and you open a door to your closet and suddenly it doesn't go into your closet anymore. It goes to Tahiti and you walk in and you can go hang out in Tahiti. And this is happening all over the world. So by the end of the book, there's no such thing as borders anymore. And it completely restructures the entire globe because like your sense of nationalism, your sense of all these things is challenged because anybody can be anywhere at once and hang out with different people. That's the basic, basic book. Um, Okay. Two things happen. We have these great conversations in class and we raise all these issues of economics, of race, of gender, of these borders. And I can walk away thinking, wow, we've really addressed some significant issues and my students are thinking about it. And at the same time, five, maybe eight students out of 25 spoke in the classroom. Right? 
And based on if I just let it be kind of like status quo, mm -hmm. that would be students who have had in the past training around reading novels and knowing how to share ideas in the classroom. And that goes back to their experiences in high school and middle school and, you know, the whole K through 12 thing, which goes back to, you know, the, the whole class structure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Students who have traveled maybe. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So hooks, I think it's a little later than the, the, the quote you read and I won't read the whole thing. I'm on, I'm looking at page 186. She talks about how it doesn't matter what they're reading or what the content is. She has her students voices speak in the classroom and space for every student's voice to read. She says we, we, every student writes a paragraph and every student reads the paragraph out loud. Yeah. And the, the point of that is not to necessarily engage every single statement that's said. The point of that is to allow for different voices to speak in the space and, and to have that space for it. That is a move to address class, right? right. A pedagogical move to address class. And that can be in combination with these other sort of material or like textual moves. Yeah, I think about like, if okay, you're having that class discussion on that book. Yeah. And the chapter was just how went through to the closet to Tahiti, right? Yes. And, you know, student says, well, I've been to Tahiti. Yeah. And it's just like it was described in the book. Right. Beautiful. I loved it. We spent yeah. two weeks there. Yeah. You know? Right. I think Hooks is making uh, challenging us to say, take that moment and say, well, that's wonderful, right? Right. And what does that reveal about maybe the, the, what the book is trying to tell us, right? Right. It's like, look at there, if everything was open and people had these opportunities, I don't know the book, but, um, you know, that may not be the case here. Yeah. Like, that's wonderful that you're able to do that. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe the teacher could make themselves vulnerable if that's their identity and they, they've had that background of like, oh, you know, like I never got out on an airplane until I was 21, you know, right. Or whatever. Right. Yeah. It is an opportunity there to open yes. it up. And I think, you know, the the skillful teacher will will make sure to not make that student feel like shit for being of upper middle class background and going to Tahiti. Right. But at the same time recognizing yeah. there's a moment there where there's people in that room that are like, must be fucking nice for you. Exactly. Yep. Right. Absolutely. And then how do we get the book woven in the, like, how do we weave the book into our class experience instead of the other way around? Yep. Instead yep. of weaving our class experience into the book's material. Right. Yep. No, that, yeah. I like that. Absolutely. And that's the tricky part. And that's why I think, and 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 this we'll we'll follow this thread is because we're gonna we're gonna talk about the the end of this book so the last three chapters but I feel like Hooks is constantly bringing up when I tried this the first time it scared the shit out of me or like we we oftentimes think of like this kind of discussion as not relevant or like of a lesser rigor or whatever it is and but I think she's but I really feel like she's challenging us and is this it's like you may not know how to do it right now. And, and, and the first couple of times you try it, it's going to be awkward probably, but this is the, this is what education of, as a practice of freedom pushes us towards is, is that right? Yeah. It's interesting because we, we can kind of transition into when we're doing three chapters here, the final three, and they're all relatively short. Yeah. And, and so talk, class on class, right? 
Yeah. And this idea of education as a practice of freedom, if you noticed in two, in two of the last three chapters, so the one we just um, covered with, with class, says professors rarely talk about class in the classroom, right? Right. right. Chapter 13 um, on Eros, eroticism, and the pedagogical process. Eros? Yeah. Is that I'm saying that right? Eros. I say Eros. Okay. You can say and, Eros. And then the first line of that chapter is professors rarely speak of the place of Eros or the erotic in our classrooms. Right. So these rarely speak about, don't yeah. talk about a lot, avoiding, evading. And yeah. it's kind of the bigger theme of the book is the things that set you free yeah. are the things that you're not willing to do. Right. Because it, okay, there's another quote. So this is back to confronting class. Yeah. On 188, same vein. She says, fear of losing control in the classroom often leads individual professors to fall into a conventional teaching pattern wherein power is used destructively. It is this fear that leads to collective professional investment in the Burgoyne decorum, Burgoyne's decorum, as a meaning, uh, as a means of maintaining a fixed notion of order. And <laughs> think about the consequence if you don't the consequence is like and i've seen this from our colleagues where they'll talk about shit and it's like do you know the audience yeah you know they'll be talking about like you know having gelatos in italy and i'm like uh-huh. some of these students are like what the fuck's a gelato like what right exactly that? yeah what are you talking about you know right and and, and so you could be you could try to be safe but then that lacking that self-awareness that automatically disconnects you from the student, but from many of the students and also creates that class division and, and solidifies it. Yes. So I've told you about my leadership assignment in my English 202 class where every unit, it's one student's job uh, to lead a small group discussion in class. And the way I set that up is, you know, when your date is and you know what the reading is going to be. And I have office hours an hour before class starts. So if you want, we can you can come in and we can pre game the thing and get your strategies all right at your fingertips and you can go in all prepared. Yeah. And so but here's how it plays out. And, and, I, and I was one, I was hoping for an opportunity to share this. Um, and, and I think it fits here. Some groups, it's painful because that student is not really used to this kind of thing and, or doesn't want to really do it. Okay. But, but part, part of the structure of the thing, it's okay. The leader is in charge of asking you all questions and then you're, you're helping to kind of supply some observations and also offering your own questions. And then the third thing is, is every 10 minutes or so, you all need to like say something super awesome and motivational to your leader. Like your handwriting on the board is just so great. So it's this stupid, silly, like we're going to do positive vibes. So that's there. That helps. That's not stupid and silly. That's essential. That's I thank you for saying that. What I'm yeah. What I meant is it, 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 they, it feels silly to them, yeah, but it yeah. is powerful in, in what it, in the role it plays. But just real quick, this requires a ton of work from me. It means that I can't just go over to the group that has really engaging with reading and it's just an on-fire conversation. I'm spending most of my time with the quiet group that's kind of, right? Yeah. But, but here we are, it's week six. At this point, everybody got a turn to go. And this class right now, I, I almost have lost control. Like, Like I had this last half of class when I met with them yesterday, it was, 
We have a draft due on Wednesday. So here's the structure I'd like you to engage with for the next 30, 40 minutes. Um, like use what you've got and build this draft in this way. Here's some tools, whatever. Okay. Yeah. They worked on it for like 10 minutes and then they started sharing their ideas with each other. And then they're just like going, like talking. Everybody's kind of moving around. They feel so comfortable and so confident. And some of them actually left. They're like, that was a great professor, a great meeting professor. Thanks so much. I feel good. And they left like 10 minutes early. And I walked out of it here. And here's, here's where I, I want to land the plane. I walked out of it having two thoughts. First, I feel like I fucked it up. I'm like, they left early. I should have like, I should have went over and told the loud groups like, shh, we're writing. You need to be shh, right? Yeah. But if I had done that, it would have been totally counter to this leadership role that I've invited them into. Like, you have a voice in here. I want you to take this class in directions that I'm not anticipating. So if I'd gone over and shushed them, I would have killed part of what we've just built, right? Yeah. And then the other thing I'm realizing is I need to bring in more of their writing and make that that the frame and not my little prompts to guide them through writing this draft. If I had put their own drafts on the screen and I said, for the last part of the class, I want you to talk about your classmates writing right there. I think they totally would have done it because that's what we've been doing. Right. Yeah. They're just right. But anyway, the point I want to make here is yeah. I felt like I lost control. And at the same time, I'm recognizing that there is there is some agency that all of my students are recognizing in themselves in different degrees because I've I've kind of gone through this process. That was really long. Sorry. No, no. You try to get happier than happy, though. Like yeah. it was. It, it's it's doing the thing. It's it's actually achieving the outcome or the process rather that you want. Yeah. But but you you got a little greedy. Like you're like I wanted more than that though. I wanted them to stay for the whole thing to like you know. But part of the leadership thing is like they get to decide if they're gonna leave early. I know. <laughs> that's that and and that's what happened. Yeah. And, and guess what? When they have somebody leading a thing and it's awkward or they didn't prepare or it's not going that well and they got to look for the positives in it, that's preparing them for the, I'm using air quotes, folks, real world. I know, right. Or so then like if you were like, hey, write this essay on your own and turn it into me and I'll grade it and give it back to you. Exactly. So that that to me is kind of like a, you are replicating what they're going to find in their families at work at other schools like th this is what's going to happen all the time so yep. people are going to be super on it you don't even need to give them compliments really like just hey thanks for thanks for being squared away yeah and then the other ones like you might have to like look around for what's good here and and looking for what's good in a situation that doesn't seem good wow what a skill when, whenever I'm working with someone and they have the ability to do that, I'm almost in awe. Like, and and I didn't realize it. I'm like, oh, you're right. No, that that is good about that. I'm 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 okay at that, but some people are fucking brilliant at that, and and that makes everything better. It just makes everything better. Yeah, yeah. So, and I am not brilliant at it. This is not in my wheelhouse to like do that well i'm so fucking awkward <laughs> and, but at this point in any given class you'll randomly hear applause from this group over there because they took their oh it's been 10 minutes hey you're doing awesome and there's just this and you can see the 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 student who's writing on the board like kind of like bow their head like try to like but smiling like just bodily yeah. like you know like there's yeah. this lift of like yeah. it's silly they're clapping for me i'm just writing on a board but of affirmation at the same time, you know? 
Right. And, and like, I mean, what percentage of like the, what, what percentage of the execution, like if the perfect execution is a hundred percent, right. What percentage are you really looking for from the average or average, the typical student? 70, right. 75. Yeah. 60, you right. know, uh, I, I, and I think it's really important that we keep that in mind yeah. because we, we don't need to infect them with our disease of perfectionism. We don't need to do that, you know? And I'm so glad you brought that up because originally this leadership role thing was me thinking I need to find a way to keep them all like engaged in the reading and accountable. And so if they're on the hook to do at least one discussion in a unit, they're at least going to read for that day. Yeah. Right. And my original rubric for this was like, you were clearly prepared. I saw your notes. You were robust in the discussion. And, and when I first started doing this, some students didn't pass that. Like, clearly you came with no notes. You, you're not going to get credit for leading today. Yeah. I've, I've, I've moved so far past that. I'm like, the point of this is that they have that experience of leading a discussion. I don't care how much they prepared for it. They're in the thick of that stuff. That is hard to do. And if they're willing to engage and their classmates can lift them up in that way, we are building classroom community. That's so important. Like you being here and showing up that you did it. You know, it goes back to class differences and kind of stratification and how yes. some people grew up in families where it was the expectation. You come to the dinner table on the drive to school, whatever you come with something to yep. have us talk about, you know, yep. mm-hmm. you bring up questions like, I, you know, my kids, that that's kind of what they they need. They, they know that, like if they don't, then I'm going to steer the discussion and they don't always want to talk about the shit I'm talking about, you know? <laughs> so they know like, Hey, I was thinking about this thing. And I, I read this somewhere. What do you think about this? You know, because if they don't, then, then I get to do that. Right. But not everybody's going to grow up in that environment. Right. Maybe they were never asked for their opinion. Yeah. Right. Maybe they were never asked to ask others of their yep. opinion. Yep. And maybe when they did, they got shut the fuck down. So I think it's a huge win for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so looking at the last chapter, which Hooks calls ecstasy and subtitles teaching learn, and learning without limits. Curry totally skipped the eroticism chapter, but we'll, we'll just yeah, look <laughs> at the last chapter. We I talked thought- about this a little bit off air that yeah, that one was kind of like, okay, well, I just want to say, can, can we just for a second, right? Okay. Just, All so right. We're, we're doing the very thing. Professors really speak of them. I know. Yeah. Thank you for checking me. I appreciate yeah, it. But I will just say that this chapter is one that is difficult to talk about. I, yeah. And I'm no, I'm not, I'm, I'm okay with saying I, I'm, I'm challenged by it. And it's something that I don't want to talk about, you know, a safe space for dangerous topics. Uh, safe, uh, yeah. I, I don't, I, I think that people know that people have thoughts and feelings yeah. in spaces with other people yes. that go, that don't ever, that are never disclosed. Yeah. And, you know, she digs into that quite a bit and with her own thoughts and feelings that she had to explore and unpack, um, you know, for our purposes here, I think that the, the, the lesson 
and and the teaching and learning part that I take out of that chapter is to be aware of these things and maybe have like people close to you that you can discuss these kind of things with. But ultimately, you know, and I, I learned this from a psychologist, you don't have to talk about everything that you're thinking. And and um and I'll leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate it. I was thinking more. We have 20 minutes left, but, yeah. but, but also, Both. <laughs> but also I'm, I am sheepish, uh, yes, uh too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, yes. So I a hundred percent agree with what you just said. Um, and I think it is more appropriate actually to work out the issue to do the work that she's calling for in this chapter, to do that work with colleagues who are committed to your and their own success as a teacher, right? That oh. that sort of very special uh, um, relationship. Way more appropriately for then you and I to do it on a podcast. <laughs> oh, no. And, yeah. and not just here, but in any kind of space. Yeah. People outside of that circle you're talking about. For sure. You will get in trouble. That's, That's 100%. Right. You will get in trouble. Right. And, and you, the things that you think that you hesitate to say out loud there's a reason and we live in a culture today where where that reason has never been more apparent maybe for good reasons and right. and maybe not that's your you know up to the individual to kind of judge how that goes no totally um and i think also what i really appreciate about the chapter that i want to say before we move on to the conclusion um is that she's broadening she's broadening the concepts to land in the end of that chapter on passion a passion for teachers right yeah. and it has everything to do with her critique of enlightenment thinking that we separate our minds from our bodies right it is no we are a mind and a body in a space and so what does that mean when we teach and you know that final line in the chapter she says to restore passion to the classroom or to excitement to excite in the classroom where it has never been, professors must find again the place of eros within ourselves and together allow the mind and body to feel and know desire. And at that point, by the time she gets there in that chapter, feel and know desire has a, has a pretty broad meaning um, to explore. So it's a, it's a definitely a good chapter to, to digest. But the um, point well taken, Bell Hooks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the very fact there's any reluctance, apprehension, and fear, and all of that, like, is yeah, that's because uh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I want to teaching and learning without limits. Yes. So um, I want to do just a quick overview of the chapter with, and then and then let's just go where we want to. Yeah. Um, and teaching without limits like like all good writers this is a conclusion i feel like a, a a very intentional conclusion for this book because it it does that reaching back move and it just grabs so many threads that that she's you know woven together and just pulls them into this final tapestry right at the yeah. end um so teaching without limits has many applications and illustrations in this chapter one of them the first one is her breaking her arm on the way when she on the way to work with a student of color who has shared with her that she's never had um, a professional of color critique her work, um, and and Hooks wants to provide that for her. This yeah. is even though Hooks feels sick and tired, and it's not a classroom. I'm not even sure if it's her student, but that's 
right? So that's one illustration of teaching without limits, right? It's not bounded by a classroom or a job description. Um, another that she illustrates with is this, um, you know, her a refrain passionately insisting that no matter what one's class, race, gender, or social standing, I shared my beliefs that without the capacity to think critically about ourselves um, um, and our lives, none of us would be able to move forward to change, to grow. So that's that kind of we have bodies and we teach within the limits of our bodies and through the limits of our bodies. Right. Um, and I'll just list a couple more. Um, uh, uh, my, she says, uh, my commitment to engage pedagogy is an expression of political activism. And that's been a, a clear, consistent theme throughout. Um, she says, those of us who have made wholehearted commitment to education as a practice of freedom, um, are often overworked. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, and then just, just one or two more, um, some version of engaged pedagogy is really the only type of teaching that truly generates excitement in the classroom that enables students and professionals to feel the joy of learning. Um, so that, yeah. And then, uh, let me pick one last one. Oh, and this is the one I want to pick, but there's others. So we can go wherever you want to, uh, towards the end of the chapter, she says, students do not always enjoy studying with me. Often they find my course cha courses challenging them in ways that are deeply unsettling. I want to be liked and admired, <laughs> but oftentimes the rewards of engaged pedagogy might not emerge during a course. And she goes on to say, but the work is long-term. The work, like the rewards, actually, the fruit of it will, will reveal itself later by students reaching out and saying, you know, but within the course, it feels, yeah. So, so all of those things, everything we've talked about as we've read this book, this chapter is really just pointing back, grabbing, pulling forward. So what do you think, Sean? Like what, of, of all those things, what are you not necessarily taking away? Like, I don't think we need to distill it down to that, but like, like what, yeah. What, what are you mulling over? What's, what's good? What's good? What's good is we, we, we never really kind of dissected the title, right? Teaching to transgress. Sure. Uh, transgress being like a pushback against law or policy um, against, you know, the, the, the formal ways the, of doing things, the, the traditional, the status quo, right? And I feel like teaching to transgress education as a practice of freedom, it is, there's no more, there, there, there's, not an endeavor that's more human than that, right? Humans fight for freedom. That that that's that that keeps us fighting longer and harder than anything else. Money, whatever. Maybe if money's connected to the idea of freedom, success, fleeting. But to be free, you know, that has always been the struggle for humans. And when we're boxed in, and we do this to ourselves, right? We build the structures based on what we think is going to be best. And then we really long to be free of them. Yeah. And so I see that here in teaching to transgress. So teaching in a way that pushes back against the way that things are. The rarely spoken things being discussed, being revealed, being uh, interrogated. That to me is what I'm taking away from this book. In a lot of ways, I feel like this book has made me a better teacher mm -hmm. 
and a much worse faculty member. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now because it, it reminds me of what's important. It reminds me of where there is the passion and the inspiration and, you know, the real zest of what we do, of zest for what we do. And it leads me to believe the best way of making change in the thing that we're doing in this work that we have is by teaching better yeah and and doing a lot of the other stuff less it's it's so funny so transgress also has a a negative connotation yes like the title could have been teaching to resist or teaching to rebel and i think if it was softer Exactly. Teaching to transform, which is very much more positive spin. I think resist and rebel land well in Americans ears because we see ourselves as these sort of individualist, you know, like, you know, revolution, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Transgress is that word that means you're doing something against the norm and supposed to feel bad about it. Right. Like it comes with that kind of I'm transgressing. I, I have a guilty feeling, even if I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Sorry. Transgressions. Like Transgression. Exactly. Not a good thing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that that word is so powerful, given given everything she talks about in this book. But where you just said, like, I'm thinking of, okay, this committee that I'm a part of that has these outcomes, and I'm supposed to drive us towards these outcomes. And if I don't care about the outcomes, I'm doing something wrong. Like I, I have to care about these outcomes because that's the right way to do this work. Yeah. Even though I know that the outcomes are kind of fucking us up right now, or the fact that we have to like measure and report on those specific outcomes is distracting us of this really important work that we should be doing that is going to give us more agency and address what's what's really confining us. And you know what I mean? You have to conjure up artificial um, um, enthusiasm or effort or yeah, 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 yeah. And so I feel like, so one of the things, one of the things that is so good from this book is that courage, because she's not saying teach to transgress and you'll feel fine about it. She's that word in the title means teach, teach, teaching as a practice of freedom is going to make you feel guilty about shit sometimes. And you got to work through that. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And not just the teaching and not just the classroom. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. Is that when you, when you teach to transgress, the classroom does become an amazing space. Amazing in all facets of that word. Amazing is typically used in our culture now to mean a good thing. Right. Amazing could be a tragic thing too. Right. right? Amazing could be an awful thing too. Yeah. So it also makes you feel like um, when you teach in this way, the students might not be on board at first or whatever. Your colleagues might look at you weird and it may not align with the mission of the academy right and that is the other thing too is that i see this all throughout the book is you know the 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 struggle of being one who wants to be a teacher but then also being one that is forced to be a participant in the in the academy yeah those are very different things right and she talks about how those who want to publish aren't usually concerned with teaching. Right. Right. And, yeah. and, I, and I would argue 
those that are very bureaucratic in our sh- and, and involved in our shared governance problem. Not that they know they're everybody that I work with is really into teaching. I, yes. I, I, I do believe that, but you can't be really into teaching if you're not doing. Yeah. And that I feel like is another thing that's really good about this book is that bell hooks is a practitioner of all of it, right? Like yeah. she, she doesn't just talk about how she is a published, uh, uh, you know, writer, uh, uh, scholar, and and it grapples at that academic contentious level. She mm-hmm. does it in this book, and she also transgresses against that particular discourse, right, by having these dialogues and stuff, right. Um, and she talks about the classroom, but she talks about how important the work is outside the classroom in these. She doesn't use the word governance, but like you know these faculty partnership spaces where coming together as teachers more can be done right um yeah you know <laughs> yeah more can be done and and i'm more and more like i just, I've, I've got to reiterate it like i'm more and more convinced that that is done in the classroom because, yeah you know i just came from a class yeah and, um it speaks to the last last lines here that i'm going to read from her cool um and it, you know, I had the students up and they were writing stuff on, on the whiteboard. Um, anyway, they're in an activity. And then I overheard a student say to another student, like, you know, I just I just love this class and I love this classroom. And it, it just it feels like home in here. This That's is awesome. Good, you know, awesome. and yeah. I was kind of like. Like, I'm not saying that to, like, brag about my pedagogy or like my practice, like. I just hope that's happening, happening in a lot of different, and I know it is. Right. And, and that to me, that's teaching to transgress. It's almost teaching to transport, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're not on this campus anymore. We're not in Oceanside, California anymore. We're not, you know, in all of the, we're here. This yes. is, this is the only, and if you can make it so that your classroom is the only place you all are at any given time, you have accomplished something because that is damn near impossible in an, in a day and age where there are more portals to Tahiti than there have ever been. Yeah. Wherever your Tahiti is, yeah. you can be anywhere mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally than the place you are. And if you can cultivate a classroom, that or if you can create a classroom that or if you can facilitate a learning experience where everybody is there doing that thing together you're a damn good teacher yeah so i'll end it with this the last lines of the book bell hooks tells us the academy is not paradise but learning is a place where paradise can be created The classroom, with all its limitations, remains a location of possibility. In that field of possibility, we have the opportunity to labor for freedom, to demand of ourselves and our comrades an openness of mind and heart that allows us to face reality, even as we collectively imagine ways to move beyond boundaries, to transgress. This is education as the practice of freedom. If you heard anything in this episode that has you thinking about how you teach, why you teach, 
or if anything made you feel joyful or even mad, like you just yelled at your dishes or whooped while you were walking your neighborhood. I've done those things. <laughs> then we really want to hear from you. You can find us on the Twitter at Safe Topics. Let us know how you're responding to today's book stuff. Like, what did we miss? Or what did we totally get right? Or what questions did we raise for you? And best of all, how are you thinking about your teaching and students? We'll update what we're reading so you can read along if you want. And your feedback will shape our discussions as we go. We may even read some comments in the episodes to come. And not just the nice ones. Safe Topics is a safe setting for dangerous topics. That's right. If you like this episode, please rate and subscribe. We've never really asked people to do that before. I know. I think it's cool, though. We're ready to be rated and subscribed it. Yeah, and big thanks to Kelly Burnett and the rest of the Safe Topics team for editing, producing, promoting, and all the other wonderful backstage stuff you do. <laughs> and thank you for listening. Bye.